are listening to Core, a show on Code Zero Radio that plays bands located in the Fox Cities, a show to find and discover new music. Hosted by Andy McNamara. Hello everybody, my guest this morning wears many hats. He's an animator, a director, an author, musician, and one of the best storytellers I know. He's been involved in music for most of his life. For a while, he worked as a West Coast musician for country western performers. And later on, he did some really cool session work at Smart Studios in Madison. He also co-directed a movie called The Life of Riley, which I watched last night and really enjoyed, and authored the book Wicked Fox Cities. And that's only <laughs> scraping the surface. I'd like to welcome Frank Anderson to Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. How are you doing, Frank? Real good. I want to start out by saying I've I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I find you really? I find you fascinating. Like you've you've lived a life that I wish I could get into your head and just live myself. Oh, you left out the part where I was a ranch hand, a real one. <laughs> was that on the West Coast? Yeah, yeah, on a huge cattle ranch. Yeah. I want to talk about where you were born first you were born in the philippines is that accurate oh, that's very accurate one second <laughs> i don't like wearing the headphones okay now <laughs> <laughs> yes i was born in the philippines in on uh, basilan island which is right next to borneo it's the southern part of the philippines and why were your parents out out that way uh, my dad was in the lumber business uh, he had been there previously in World War II. He was, he was a uh, PT boat commander, and his PT base for a while was on that island. So he already knew everybody there when he returned. And he returned to the Philippines from my favorite town, Manasha. <laughs> and so that is the... The connection then what is that what brought you back to the fox cities eventually or what no no you... no 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 marriage brought me back to the fox cities uh my parents hometown is near madison okay and among a lot of people i'm a madisonian even though i've lived here 34 years and after the philippines well first of all how you i know you've got a brother do you have any others i had, I had two i have two brothers one passed away i have one brother yeah that's Peter? Peter, yeah. Great. And then you, after the Philippines, you moved back to... Deerfield, Wisconsin. And then Madison. When did you get into guitar? Well, that's because of my older brothers. I was very lucky. I had real cool older brothers uh, who took me to concerts when I was ridiculously underage. So I got to see a lot of bands that... People 10 years older than me uh, would see normally. What are you doing? Sorry. There you go. One man show here, Frank. <laughs> ad ad adjustments. <laughs> but so anyways. Where were we? <laughs> we were talking about when you got into music playing guitar. Oh, uh, uh, I, I flipped out over an instrument called a pedal steel guitar when I was about 12. We just got back from the Philippines. And uh, my old, oldest, my Peter was a country rock fan and that was the thing at that time and there was uh this is before the eagles by the way before they came in and turned it to dreck and i agree with the dude 100 percent um 
So I uh, started playing lap steel, and then uh, one wonderful Christmas, a pedal steel showed up on my front door, and uh, I've, it's been my instrument ever since. And you started playing in the in bars and stuff when you're 17. Right away. No, no, younger, younger. Uh, I started playing right away, uh, within within months of. Uh, getting a pedal steel and i played at the tail end of the classic country era and it's funny to me nobody knows what that is right except record collectors <laughs> and classic country is buck owens merle haggard johnny cash that was ending when i began and uh new sounds were coming in but i could play in three four different i played with old guys way younger than me today. I'm talking about 31-year-olds, you know. And I was 15, <laughs> and I played with a lot of bands. I had my own band. They were called the Oak Park Boys. I was a part of in Deerfield, Wisconsin. We were all the same age, and uh, we had a lot of fun, and we played a weird combination of rock and roll and polka and country western that I later learned was endemic to our region. They, they, a writer later called it, James Leary called it uh, Norwegian Polka Billy. We had no idea at the time. It's just everybody. Norwegian Polka Billy. Yeah, Norwegian <laughs> Polka Billy. Where, where Deerfield is set in Nor everybody's Norwegian. When I came back, old people still spoke Norwegian. But a very famous band was there, uh, folk, folk music wise, called the Goose Island Ramblers. And they'd been around since the 1930s. They were a fiddle, an accordion, and a guitar. And they gained national fame in the inner circle of uh, folk music enthusiasts. And they were our local band. I mean, you could see them any night of the week you wanted. They played our, you know, the, the town festival and all that sort of stuff. But they are the pioneers of what is now known as Norwegian polkabilly. And it rubbed off on us. So is that what moved you towards the accordion? Redoing the accordion? Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. The, the accordion player for the Goose Island... You're good. <laughs> the accordion player for the Goose Island Ramblers was a guy named Bruce Ballerud. And he was amazing. And here's why he was amazing. He could imitate a drunk guy playing the accordion beautifully. He'd sing a song called the Milwaukee Waltz. You can look it up. But he'd sing the whole thing and he'd weave around. What the Goose Island Ramblers did was they put on a show. The fiddler, George Gilbertson, was my favorite steel guitar player. He played a dobro, but he attacked the instrument. He wasn't Johnny Lightfingers. He attacked it. Uh, he killed it. He was rock and roll on that thing. And I love that. I, 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 I'll get later on my diatribe against soft music. But, um, <laughs> They rocked, they had a show, they took you, they took the audience with them. In the middle of the show, they do, do you know a song called the Orange Blossom Special? I do not. It's a fiddler's showpiece, and it's all about a train, and it has a great one, four, five progression that the audience goes nuts over. Well, I'd go see them at a place called Johnny's Packer Inn on bb right in madison as you come into madison i lived right next to madison and that was the highlight of every night so george gilbertson would be playing the orange blossom special and the last time through one of the guys would come up with a pitcher of beer 
and he'd repeat it the whole damn thing <laughs> and drink the entire pitcher of beer that's show business i never forgot it and it influenced my act later on when i became part of a popular band in madison when i was 17. what was the name of that band buzz gunderson buzz gunderson if you want to know who buzz gunderson is in the movie rebel without a cause he's the guy that goes over the cliff in the famous chicken race and we were uh, we started out as a country rock band but man boring that's boring to me uh, we got into rock and roll and uh, R&B, and I love playing horn parts on the pedal steel and organ parts on the pedal steel. And because of George Gilbertson's showmanship from my hometown, I, I ended up playing steel upside down. Very few steel guitars survived me, because we used to end our set, I'd throw it up in the air, bam, on the last note, and go, Oh, you know, and it was really fun. And I was a kid and I played on its side and we rocked. When it was time to call a soft song, I'd get very upset. I'd kind of sit out. <laughs> so you feel that Appleton is... Appleton's in danger. <laughs> you have who, a... who do I tell Appleton's <laughs> in danger? Over that's good. Danger. <laughs> I have this to say. Appleton is in danger of not rocking. Everybody's all of a sudden into soft music. Everybody I know, they've gone into themselves. Maybe it's a pandemic. But certain, you know, uh, they had a, we, had, we have wonderful bands. We have your band, Pudge, and we, have, uh, we had Tenement. I don't know. They, they don't play anymore, but they rocked. And I'd go anywhere to hear them rock. Do you feel that mile of music has kind of made people want to play more like soft rock? I don't know. Or have we imported all these soft people? I don't know. So, some play heavy. I don't uh, Maybe I didn't see the bands that rock. But I'm talking about Appleton artists right now getting real soft. You know, listening to things like Steely Dan. I mean, that doesn't do anybody any good. Do you feel that there is a way to fix this problem? We need a new generation dedicated to rock. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at what's popular in, in the mainstream right now, it does seem like there's a lot of, like if you turn on the radio, it's, it's a lot of synthesizers. Which, which and, radio? Uh, <laughs> where, where, let's, where? Say, let's say the FM terrestrial, like top, you know, WAPL, they're playing still. They, they've moved up a, a decade to play in 90s and early 2000s. But... They've moved into the 90s? <laughs> yes, they have. I just heard Dreamboat Annie. I was just, it was just on my uh, uh, radio. <laughs> but do you, do you feel it's just what sort of uh, ebb and flow we're sort of going through right now that will eventually come out of strong? Which will get me to the, the Smart Studios stuff in a little bit. Well, we need that. We need that. But we don't have the raw material to do that. We don't have any rocking bands. We're young kids. They're not rocking. And I've seen a lot of good ones here. And uh, uh, they've either broken up or moved away or lost the nerve. Is, is it an oppressive thing, you know? Are we being forced to be soft? Um, you've, you've been in your fair share of projects. Is there a reason that you think bands normally break up? Is, is there... They just like, break up because they break up. Someone's always, <laughs> someone's always pissed off at somebody else. It's, I, I can think of a million reasons. Um, 
Uh, jealousy, huge, huge, huge thing. I, I've, I saw a great Madison band long ago break up because one of their guys actually knew what he was doing and he was getting them great gigs and uh, uh, pushing, they had a record, a real record long ago, and pushing it correctly and getting airplay and the other guys hated that. That doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> It's like sabotage from inside. Right. And I think people sabotage themselves all the time. Well, then let's talk about how you got... Well, let's talk about the West Coast. We didn't even... Wow, there's so much to cover. So for a while, you're out on the West Coast doing session work for country artists. Not session work. Well, I played, or, I played a lot of session work. I played uh, on an album, that, you know, uh, everyone from Elvin Bishop to... Uh, uh, People who had like one or two country hits and were up and coming at that time. Yeah, is that something that that you enjoyed at the time? I know. It... No. <laughs> was it just a way to to make a living at the time? Right. And were you, was it mostly steel guitar that you were playing in these projects? Yeah, and and, and except for Elvin Bishop, he he let me play like I play, um, which I often I don't because people hear the sound of the pedal steel a certain way in their head. And they want you to basically be the icing on the cake. And that's like stabbing me with a cold steel <laughs> knife. I prefer duos and trios. And I can handle it. I, I can do the rhythm. I normally play people. No, but it's so long ago that I did this on a regular basis. But when I played in Madison, I had two Fender twins, a Leslie. One of the twins was distorted as hell. I handled the the cross picking, so I do bass rhythm, bass rhythm, and uh, riffs and uh, supportive riffs. And that's what I loved and what I'm used to. I'm not your guy for, you know, all over the tip top of the, I hate high notes. <laughs> and that's, it's pedal, pedal steel guitar is like one of those things. Everybody seems like guitar, guitarists are a dime a dozen. Seems like drummers are kind of hard to find, but but what you were doing, like I don't even in the Fox Cities, I'm sure there's more pedal. Oh sure, the, sure. I know Riley and I know you are yeah, the, the yeah. two that I'm I'm aware mm -hmm. of. But do you find yourself getting called for a lot of projects because it it's a more unique sort of instrument? Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's a uh, special effect or something like that. Yeah. So after the the work out on the West Coast, which th you posted a picture a while back, which was great. It was uh, you performing with one of the the artists out there, and he had a big, huge, huge head, head of hair. <laughs> huge head of hair. Huge. Um, yeah, I was, that was with Stephanie Winslow, and she had a couple of hits, and her career, I, I'm, uh, uh, her career went nowhere, but I think she did not like it. It's hard being on the road all the time and being pushed and having to. She, being a young woman, she had to do, you know, photo sessions, radio, 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 photo sessions, gig, 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 like that. I, I don't think she was built for that, and I think uh, she wanted out. Was, was there any specific catalyst that sent you out back, back towards the Wisconsin area after? Yeah, uh, when I lived in the West Coast, it was reasonably affordable. Uh, towards the end of our, my, uh, my wife and I lived there about 10 years. To the end, towards the end, housing prices went like they did here in Appleton recently. They went straight up like that. 
there's no sideways then. There's no, you know, I want to live here. I'll just sell my house and buy that house. There's none of that. It was just straight up and it was a war. And the yuppies invaded. And they came with their Mercedes. You could see them. They looked so slick. And they came in and they kind of wrecked everything. They always do. Then you, you mentioned marriage brought you back. Oh, the other thing that brought me back was my mother-in-law had become ill. And I missed Wisconsin very much. Uh, people say always say, you moved here from San Francisco? And I go, yeah, and it was the happiest day of my life. I was happy. I wanted to come back. And to live in the Fox Cities, which I'd never done. It was all new to me. Well, we'll uh, break away from music for a bit. This is a good spot to talk about uh, Wisconsinology, oh, yeah, which I, yeah. I was reading for a while before I realized you were the one behind it. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's a, If you've never heard of Wisconsinology, it's, it's stories, quotes, podcasts, uh, looks like you started it in 2004, so it's been... Roughly, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that alone shows your love of Wisconsin and the, I've, in the I've area. I've had that my whole time here. I've just been, when we moved from the Philippines, I'd gather facts and tell people, did you know that two miles from here, you know, um, Ed Norvik's head got cut off and hanged on a tree by his wife? They, and they go, no, you know. And I'd go and look at the tree. You know? <laughs> I love that. And, and if you've never been to the, the site, it's on Facebook, and you've got a website where you can find um, some different things. The, the podcasts are interesting, and you're also doing something with 91.1 The Ave where there's five well, minutes. Really that's really fun. That's really fun. Wisconsinology on Music, 22 episodes. You can go to their page and uh, listen to any one of them. And they're really well done. Thank You've got you. a really soothing voice, and you you are one of the best storytellers I know. It's you get kind of caught into it, and it's it's it not only interesting stuff, but it's really pleasant to listen to. And I, I, I'm related to most of it. That's the part I left out. I've either played on the songs I'm spinning, or I know the musician and played in their band, or knew the person I'm talking about. Yeah. Except Les Paul. I do not know Les Paul. You've never met? Never met Les Paul. Although he gave one of the greatest live shows I've ever seen in my life. Where did he see Les Paul? Dane County Coliseum. And he was a knockout. Uh, this is the 70s, and I'm still a teenager. And uh, he, he performed alone, and he demonstrated his the looper. The, he invented the looper, the guitar looper, for you musicians out there. Well, for you musicians out there, everything you do, Les Paul invented. <laughs> I'm looking at all, I'm reminded of Les Paul just looking around. But uh, he had a looper, and he did that one-man band thing, and he entertained. He entertained. That's all that matters. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I, I would have liked to see him as well. I had, yeah. never got the chance. But. And and he was, you know, he was still, I'd say he was vital. A lot of people saw him late in life when he played his club gig in New Jersey, in New York City. And uh, uh, I was always amazed that Les was so young at heart to the end of his life. You know, something else I learned, Frank, you've got a, a Wisconsin Monsters and Myths. Poster. Wisconsin Monsters, Myths, and Legends poster That's that, right. that you've uh, made. It's an 18 by 24 handmade poster, and you've got your original art on there. Yes, I do. 
that's yeah. available for sale. Very reasonable, too, yeah. I might add. It is reasonable. It's at uh, wisconsinology.com and Wisconsinology Facebook and Etsy Wisconsinology. You also did a... You got one? I do not have one yet. I just oh, found I'll, it last I'll night. Oh, I'll bring you one. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to bring you one over. Well, I can order it, and then it's no, no, free I'll... shipping, by the way, everybody. <laughs> free shipping in Appleton. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about, so we, we talked about Wisconsinology. Everybody should check that out. Um, we'll get back to the music thing. How did you get involved with Smart Studios? What brought you in the doors? Well, I've, I've known, here's the thing. So we all have a band now called the Know-It-All Boyfriends. There they are. There they are. And... Uh, we're old Madison guys of a certain vintage, and we all know each other. So I've known Butch Vig since 1976, so that's pretty much it. And I came back and uh, connected with everybody again, and Butch was just ending his tenure with uh, Firetown, and they'd had two LPs on Atlantic Records. That used to mean something. You know, having a record deal or a label. Now it means absolutely nothing. But uh, I, I just connected with everybody again. And actually, my first gig back, first session, was playing accordion. <laughs> who was, uh, who was uh, that with? Do you remember? Of course I remember. <laughs> Killdozer. That's what I was going to say. Oh, Killdozer. <laughs> Killdozer. 12-point yeah. buck, one of the... 12-point buck. Arguably, arguably, what someone really started grunge. Someone, it's well, it did. <laughs> I was lucky to be there right at that time. I didn't know what it was. It was labeled later, and even when I played with uh, my favorite session day, there was playing with two bands at the same time in two successive sessions in three hours. Crash Vegas, who was a label act from Canada upstairs at Smart, and then Paw, and I played on Jesse, which is the closest thing to a hit I've ever played on. And the reason it's a hit is that it was on the soundtrack of a popular game called Road Rash. So everybody, every male <laughs> of a certain age knows Jesse by Paw. It was also on Sir Paul McCartney's jukebox which they were very proud of, Pa. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But I've never, everything I've played on, everything always stops at number 50. You know, number 50 in the Canadian charts, number 50 on the Australian charts, number 50 on the Norwegian charts. Were you keeping a list of all the projects that you played on? or I mean, I'm no. assuming you were just going in there, sometimes you'd add something and leave, and probably not even... Never think about it. Right. I thought about Pa because I liked it. It rocked. It really rocked. And they wanted me to be sweet, play sweet, play very recognizable pedal steel, um, as to be an opposing force against their hard rock. I was the sweet end. And it was fun. It was fun. It was fun meeting them. The, the, the singer is such a great singer and a poet. Singing that song to his dog, who he has to part with. I still love listening to the words. Well, what was the vibe like at Smart Studios? I know they were across the loose. street. So it was just 
I think we were more concerned with going across the street to the bar, <laughs> right across the street, and they'd serve beers, these cheap beers and, and cups, uh, uh, glass cups about that, that size. And, you know, you go like that, and another one, and then you, pretty soon you have like 15 or 20 of those things lined up. It was fun. It was fun. And the bands all stayed at these this crappy hotel called the Aloha, the Aloha Motel. Which is still there. Is it still there? I looked. I'm, I'm trying to plan a, uh, a Madison sort of uh, site visit this summer, and I, the Aloha is still there. I looked it up on Google Maps. Wow. <laughs> um, for anybody that might not know, the Aloha looks like a very uh, rundown hotel. I don't know what it looked like in the 90s or 80s, probably same. the same. <laughs> but it's right on um, Wisconsin coming in uh, before Smart Studios, right. about maybe a half mile or so. Yeah. That's where everybody stayed before uh, Nirvana hit big, as big as it gets, number one international. Um, after that, everybody stayed in nice hotels, and they got all these requests for. Uh, do you remember remixes? The remix craze. Yeah. So U2, Depeche Mode, all this stuff coming in. It was it was crazy. And that all the after Killdozer, it wasn't until Nirvana that things started Correct. Correct. flooding in. Yeah. Was Killdozer? Somewhat of a, a Madison oh, yeah. secret at the time. I mean, not a secret. They, they, they had a little, you know, Killdozer. We all thought Killdozer would be the once they announce it, grunge is here. This is grunge. That Killdozer would break through and be the one. But instead, their fortunes sank as uh, Smart Studios went up. And again, if people aren't aware, uh, Kurt Cobain heard 12 Point Buck and liked the, the sounds of the drums and everything, and that's what made him want to reach out to Butch, Butch Vig. 12 Point Buck sounded, that room was loud, but 12 Point Buck sounded amazing on earphone. You know, if you were playing along to 12 Point Buck, it was, it was electrifying. It was great. And, and that was, was that recorded at the, the first version of the last location, or was that? Recorded across the street in the egg carton warehouse version. Not at the egg carton. That was recorded at the, right there. At the building we associate with Smart Studios. Although I recorded a number of things at the egg carton uh, warehouse. <laughs> but that was weird. I mean, you'd go down a long hall and hang a right, hang a left, hang a right, hang a left. And it was uh, uh, like those apartments uh, in down by the uh, flats. So it was kind of like an early version of a home studio? Yeah, with egg gardens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what other, I mean, I, I know some of your run-ins at Smart. Who else did you run into at, at Smart Studios that people might have heard of? Uh, I, really, really not, because I was always added after the track. So I'd be with people I knew. I mean, I remember uh, Billy Corrigan before he was famous. I remember seeing him. No big deal. Just saw him. Uh, his girlfriend was Courtney Love, and and uh, yeah, stuff like that. I I didn't really uh, ming Pa, who did not become famous. Uh, I spent time with a little time with, but not not anybody else. 
I'd, I'd come in, you know, I was at my full-time job was as an animator and I'd drop by when I could. And I always said yes, because I loved seeing everybody again. It's like the know-it-all boyfriends up there. It's just nice to see everybody. When, uh, when you heard that the Smart Studio story was being made by Wendy Schneider, I, you were a very heavy contributor to that, that film. I wish I could have contributed more. I regret not filming during those years. But like anyone, when something's happening, you don't know it's happening. Are you a nostalgic person, Frank? Yes. Yes. So, Very much so. Excellent. Some some people aren't, which... Well, no, but I am also believe in moving forward, always moving forward, never look back. But still, you know, you can't get... You can't help but feel nostalgic when you hear something on the radio. I mean, songs make me nostalgic. And that goes way back. The first time I, I visited Madison... Uh, we visited Madison. I was eight, and my mother loved the new music coming out. And this was the time of the Beatles and all that. So she took me to concerts. And she had this super cool Mustang, 1964 Ford Mustang. And <laughs> stick me in the front seat, her, off we go. We see the Ventures, we see the Searchers, we see uh, all these incredible hit makers of 1964 and 5. And... We we uh, we get to hang out with uh, Gene Pitney. Do you know who that is? I've heard the name. I'm not familiar. Listen with to Gene Pitney. He rocks. But in a, when I say someone rocks, I mean they put all their heart and soul into what they do. And he's kind of a crooner, but it's a hundred percent. His whole soul is in it. So yeah, yeah, he rocks. Unlike soft music people who don't. <laughs> I mean, you can rock playing soft music, but I don't, I don't hear anyone doing that. What were your feelings and emotions watching the finished product of the Smart Studio story? Oh, Wendy did such a great job. She, she's great, and I like the way she films. Puts a camera up high behind her and kind of nonchalantly conducts an interview. She's great, and she's got a, a new film, which I have to see, coming out, Angels of Dirt. Uh, yeah, I was thrilled that she was doing it. When you're, I mean, she's such a part of it. She's way more a part of it than I ever was. I came in and out all the time during, you know, that era. She was an employee. How many screenings did you go to for the film? Uh, one, two, three, four. And I know one of them was up at Rock Garden Studios. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That was fun. Did uh, I don't think we slept that night. <laughs> but, you, you know, you never sleep with... Butch wants to rock. He wants to keep going. We cooked food late at night at the refuge and just kept it going. And I, well, I, I think I cranked out at two or three o'clock. Butch is still upstairs in the church jamming <laughs> with someone. I, <laughs> that, uh, that film is still available if people want to check it out on Amazon. I know you can rent yes. it. There's also copies available. Uh, like Frank said, Wendy did a, a great job. It's, uh, I think, a must-watch for any music fan in, in the Wisconsin and, yes. and beyond area because just of how it touched music. Absolutely. And, and, and to, to Wisconsinologize it, Wisconsin is famous for three studios. And they are not, they, they are the top end of their time. We're not talking about a studio that's very professional or really good. We're talking about number one 
studio in the whole goddamn world. And the first one being, of course, in Grafton, Paramount Records, which recorded the what are considered the greatest American recordings ever in 1929 to 31. And Smart is next in line. And one could argue, uh, who's that soft music maker from Eau Claire? Oh, Bonnie. Bon- bon- yeah, I him. can never say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other one. Yeah. I'm going to play a clip from the uh, Smart Studio story now. It's just a short clip. It's uh, Frank and Billy Corgan talking oh. about people from the Midwest. Oh, yeah, what an ass, right? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. A lot of friends on the coast think we live in the tall pine trees, like the Laura Ingalls Wilder little house in the big tall woods, and that we don't have sidewalks. Most of the people in the Midwest have a working class mentality. Your families are all working class. Your grandparents were working class. In most cases, immigrant class. It's easy to go to that cliche about hard working. You know, that's not true at all, really. Some of the laziest I've ever met are from the Midwest. We don't grow up going to school with, you know, the guy from Toto's kids. You know, we might know, oh, yeah, my third cousin played in you know, the guy from Cheap Trick's side project. That was about as close as you came to anything. God, he's such an Illinois guy. <laughs> did, I, did I just contradict him in that clip? Well, people should check out that film. It's, it's fantastic. And there are lots of people in there, too. We've got Dave Grohl, Billy Corgan, Danita Sparks, uh, got a, Shirley Manson, yeah. Butch, uh, Steve Duke. I mean, it's a great, great film. Um, all right, let's uh, talk about... Some other stuff. Let's get more current. <laughs> I know that this past Thursday you did a uh, what do you want a presentation about a huh. yes about exorcism. a famous exorcist. Well, the most famous exorcist in American history is from Appleton. Yeah, Father Theophilus Recenter. Do you like uh, doing doing this type of thing? I know you used to do this over at the refuge once in a while. And I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I do. I guess I do. I don't know. <laughs> People like listening, but I mean, is it is there a lot of work? That there is. Yeah. I don't even. That's not even a question. There is a lot of work that goes into it. But you make it seem so easy that I think people no, are. It's not <laughs> easy. And it, as far as research that goes into that, are you like? Is it? Is uh, it's it? It's continual. Okay, so it, it's something that you're not sure if you like. You probably like it when it's done. It's such a relief when I'm done. Yeah. And, and I like moving on, always moving on. Uh, my career in animation and live action film has always changed. And living in Appleton does not help one's career when you're doing something where the end result ends up in Hollywood. Um, so I've always had to change and always had to move on and I got used to that. One door always closes and uh, animation would and by the way I, I do animation the old way I'm, i come from the hand-drawn era and i worked in some studios when they were still painting cells and then from that that ended because that ended and then uh stop motion animation came right after that then live action then back to stop motion then back you know i had to keep changing i had to keep changing or i wouldn't get paid and i have to get paid so all artists out there your question is Where's the money? I mean, that's still my question. Someone 
naively could ask me, hey, I want you to do a stop motion project for me, right? But yeah, okay, I need $20,000 right now because you're asking, you know, four months of my life and I have these bills and blah, blah, blah. And that's the cheap price, super cheap price. So um, to keep that money rolling in, I had to keep changing. So it, it affected my mind. So my mind says, next, next, next. What's new? What's new? What's new? Maybe it's kept me young. I don't know. Well, you've, you've done quite a bit of, of work in both animation and film. Yeah. That, at the introduction, I mentioned uh, The Life of Riley. Yeah. And that was, I, I, I didn't know much about him before. But when it finished, I felt like I, I knew him. And then I started looking at other things that he did, like his appearances on Johnny Carson and things like that. Being a co-director for a film like that was like, first of all, when you're directing a film, what are your, what's your job as a, a co-director? Well, uh, I directed that with Barry Polterman, who I've known since 1991. 90 we have been uh collaborators on and off for a very long time and he edited uh american movie which we all know the mark bar chart all that uh and he also edited some a lot of things that are on netflix right now and hbl the upcoming uh, Paul Newman documentary, which was sold for a huge amount and will be premiering on HBO Max. He edited that. Ethan Hawke directed. Uh, I forgot your question. What does that entail? Well, it changes every day because Charles Nelson Riley, who I really came to love and enjoyed, uh, was mercurial. So on that particular project, we were just juggling trying to keep up with charles trying to if he had a bad day and our cameras were rolling and he's doing something on stage we had to just go with the flow barry put that whole thing together uh, over a year and it was a mountain of editing so i i think he did a ton of the work i added uh, animated bits and music things later anything we could to punch up the scenes. It ended up being, for a long time, it was the highest rated critical, theatrically released film of 2006 or seven. I forgot which. And it held that. Uh, its Wikipedia page is really amazing. I don't know who does those things, but uh, I, was even, I was surprised. Oh, look at that. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, you mentioned all the editing that went into it. You can kind of tell sometimes that the, the shots will switch and there'll be a subtle dis difference, but it's Correct. edited together so well that yeah, unless you're looking for it, you don't notice it. Right. He's great. He's great. He's uh, uh, deservedly working on A projects right now. And that was one of, I mean, that was Charles' last performance. Oh, Public was, performance, I, right? So public performance. I was holding, I was also a cameraman. I was also holding uh, the camera when he, Charles spent his whole life on the stage, and I was holding the camera when he stepped off the stage for so the very last time. What did of he his say life. to you? Because he says something, or he oh, says did you something. That? Yeah, I did notice that, but I couldn't couldn't make out what he was saying. He said, "Thank you, God bless you." Then he held me, and he said, "Thank you for smiling." Yeah, and it was so touching because I knew, and he knew that was that was it. 
it was over. And it was really something. Uh, we followed him downstairs and he made Manhattans for all of us. And that was thrilling, I thought. Uh, the film needed him to be alive. He, he died shortly after. Uh, there, there were a lot of bookings. Uh, to the Tonight Show couldn't wait for Charles to return and supposedly make his 100th appearance. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, and his death really hit the PR department hard and it affected the film. I mean, no one wants us to see two directors plugging a film. I mean, that, that's, that's moronic. Uh, they want to see the star. And you got to meet uh, Jerry Stiller. I saw oh, was a many picture times. You guys, yeah. I, I worked with Jerry, St Jerry Stiller's. So I directed a lot of commercials, national commercials, and uh, quite a few. Quite a lot a few, and I can't even remember half of them. And Jerry Stiller did VO on a couple. That was before the life of Riley. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Barry got ran into Jerry Stiller at the Providence Film Festival, and I had a wonderful dinner in the Village in New York City with Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira, and Ann Mira was flirting like mad, and I loved it, and it was a great time. She's a genius. Any subject, you couldn't, I couldn't switch, you know? I was, we're almost playing a game, like, can you talk about this? Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Can you talk about that? Oh, God, she's got me. <laughs> so you, you met Jerry a bunch of times after the last episode of Seinfeld sure. aired. Do you ever talk to him about the Seinfeld finale? No, <laughs> never, never. That never came up. Jerry actually thought he wasn't that guy. You know, when he acts, he's, well, he's Jerry's dad all the time. It doesn't matter what he's in. He's Jerry's dad. He's, you know, abrasive like that. And in real life, he's the sweetest, sweetest man. He's very nostalgic, very, uh, you, you break into tears, you know, remembering something sweet or wonderful or warm. Exact opposite. You did a, another film. You've done a lot of films, but the two that seem I've to be... I've done the, a lot of interstitials. That I've done more than anything. The, this one that here seems interesting, and I might pronounce it wrong. Aswang? Aswang. 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 Filipino vampire. Yes. That that one seemed interesting. It, it sounds like a, a friend of yours saw you do a, a lecture somewhere, a, have a, it's a, a short public story. It's a short story by me. And it, it kind of influenced him to write this screenplay about a, a vampire yeah. that's on a roof with a long time. Loosely, loosely, loosely based <laughs> on my short story, which is awesome. <laughs> is that available anywhere in the short no, story? No, no, no. Well, then it, oh, you just, everybody wants to see it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but I, I found the, the story of, of this movie interesting because they made it and it sounds like it, it one of the film festivals it was too gory or there's too much gore in it or something well it, so going back again uh, Barry Polterman directed that um, our group our group which is loose it's it's a core of us who met in 1990 and we've made films ever since and uh, American movie is was propelled by our group the reason it exists uh, things like that so every project we've had we've gone to Sundance or South by Southwest or wherever and sold it so we had, we had a real good track record and that that 
does not happen anymore. But back then, it was wrong. What was your question? <laughs> it's about the, the movie and the, the goriness. And <laughs> the goriness. <laughs> Well, when I was a little kid, I, I, I was afraid of the Aswang. Aswang's a Filipino vampire, right? And Filipino vampires is the deepest subject on this planet. There's like 800 of them. They all do different things. Some detach their bodies at the torso to fly around at night with their guts hanging out and bad <laughs> bat wings. And they all do different things. They, they range everywhere from a horrific shape changer to a vampire that's just an annoying guy at the corner who whistles at women. I mean, that's the whole range of Filipino folklore vampires. <laughs> so all of them are gory and all of them are bloody. This one was not so, I don't think it was bloody or gory and it did well in Germany. <laughs> They like that stuff, don't they? I haven't actually seen the film. I oh, have yeah, to yeah, come yeah, that's clean. all right. That's all right. Yeah. But that's what I what I read was, and who knows, people that write these, you know, summaries online, <laughs> there's probably some folklore involved in it. But there's folklore involved in everything, <laughs> everything. So is this is this film available anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> it, it was sold. So many times it changed hands. Um, it had a different name. Mondo Macabro, a specialist in international horror, uh, I believe, is handling it right now, and they're the ones who put up the new trailer. Uh, I haven't thought of it in ages, personally, but until this morning. <laughs> yeah, you're amazing. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? It launched everybody's. Uh, not career. It it got us all up another step. All of a sudden, our guys knew the people at Sundance, and they expected a new movie. You know, instead of submitting and hoping for the best. So it it really helped. Everything you do pushes you up another level. But all musicians, all artists, all record, everybody, anybody who wants to be in the business of show business, you have to have a hit. You have to have a hit. And a hit is not, it'd be nice if it was a top 40 hit, but no matter what you do, animation, whatever, you gotta have something that people know about, at least a little bit, or are talking about. Otherwise, that's, that's your cachet, that's everything you are. Otherwise, you're adrift and making something new that you hope will be a hit. Although, I wonder if Appleton cares about hits, our soft musicians. Jerry's out on that one, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Joey's song, because there was supposed yes. to be a concert uh, performance this year, a benefit concert that was moved to Correct. 2023. Um, Joey's song does amazing things every year. I was blown away a couple of years ago. Uh, it went virtual, of course, uh, because of, of COVID. And I was sitting at home watching, and there was a cover of uh, When the Bullet Hits the Bone that and that's a song I used to listen to as a kid, or my dad used to play it. And the, the version you guys did, it was uh, you, Butch, uh, Jay Moran. Uh, I think I saw Pie in the end of the video. Uh, Pie is all over that thing. Uh, Duke, um, Alex, I think. I, there was a lot of contributors to it, but it was a great song. Which yeah, you, yeah, you, you saw Alec. Uh, so the know-it-all boyfriends is all us Madison guys, and then me living here. 
dual citizenship, <laughs> and Alex Drossert and Corey Chisel representing Appleton. And then you guys had three songs that are available on online to purchase, and that money will go towards uh, Joey's song. Joey's song, yes. Uh, the videos are all online. I'm going to play one for you now for when the bullet hits the bone. Um, if were were you upset that it was moved to next year? Do you think it was the right call? Oh, it was. Uh, COVID was in full blizzard form. It, uh, no, I wasn't upset. I knew it was going to happen. Uh, it, it's always nice to do Joey's song, but obviously that was impossible. Dave Perner will be there. Uh, more than that. <laughs> There is a, a website you can go to at Facebook and at Joey's. Just type in Joey's song. And, Joey'sSong.org. Uh, let's talk about what you're doing currently. And what, what uh, by current, the last seven years, musically, uh, mm -hmm. you had the Emperor's Wyoming, which was a, a project you did with Butch and your brother was in there? My brother and Phil Davis, who is a lead singer of Firetown, one of Butch's bands. And then you guys played at Mala Music. How was that experience? Oh, that was fine. It was all right. I know you uh, did the chapel, and then you did, uh, was it one of the sports bars downtown? <laughs> sports bar. <laughs> well, I don't know what that bar was. <laughs> we set up in five minutes, and all I heard was a roar. I mean, just, rawr. I, whatever. I did. I'm guessing yeah, the chapel right. show was more fun than the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chapel show was much more fun. Was it kind of kind of fun to bring butch up here and bring him around and he show him had around. a lot of fun we had a, we had a real nice time and uh uh he 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 did not want to leave he was having butch is just a regular guy he's a nice 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 guy and he did not want to leave but what's the name of that band green day the, 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 the lead guy? What's the lead guy? Billy Joel Armstrong? Yeah. Demanded that he fly back and do another mix because he heard, I hate that shit. You know? Just mix a damn album and get it out. I don't care if you hear some little something that's not right. No one else does either. And each, theory, theory time, each time you mix a record, you make it worse. Each time you replay something, you make it worse. The whole goal is to capture the, you know, the spirit and essence of that initial urge or rush you had as a musician. There. <laughs> Ask me another one. Uh, I see that the Emperors of Wyoming, they, they've got a full album out, self-titled album in 2015, and then 2017, a, a single called Burn in Hell, which oh I... Oh, my God. I forgot about that one. Well, I never heard about it till yeah. I started doing a little research, and then yeah. it's a great song. Is that just yeah. one that was that one that was left over, or was that a newer song? No, that, that was okay. an attempt. <laughs> Not that we sold a few thousand records in Europe. We we did pretty good in Europe, but uh, you know it's okay. Yeah, it wasn't a big success. Uh, Burn in Hell was an attempt to get the group back together, and it did not work. Um, well, I'm done. You know, so when, when you're done, you're done. It's time to move on. As I was talking earlier, you have to move on. So no chance, Emperor's of Wyoming. No. Okay. Done deal. Stick a fork in it. Yep. What else have you been busy with lately? I know you were playing with uh, the Boy Howdy band. Boy Howdy, great. Yeah, Riley Crow. He's great. And Bo Boy Howdy and the Electric Ranch Hands. You like that? I love it. Saw you guys play at uh, one of the parks. Yeah. Great performance. Oh, I mean, it's a great band. 
And also, I wanted to ask you about the best westerns. You were I was in that band a very long time. Uh, I had replaced a legend. His name is Eddie Rivers, and he's a great, great western swing steel player, probably the best in the land. He, I replaced him, and I've been waiting for him to come back. It just it took a long time, and he finally came back. So he's in the band. I urge everyone to go and see him. Have you seen the band as a observer since you? No, left? because it's winter time. I hate gigging in winter time. I I just don't do things like that. I don't drive at night in winter time. If anybody has a question for Frank, he's agreed to stick around for a little extra time. Oh, so I'll we're gonna stick around as long as you want. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna oh, push this into Sunday morning. Uh, but the, there's a number if you want to call in. Some people like calling in, some don't. The number is 920-358-0795. Otherwise, leave a, a comment in the chat. Um, otherwise, Frank, I'll just keep talking here. Um, what what are What's your opinion on the scene in the Fox Cities pre-mile music and post-mile music? Okay, you ready? Ready. No, this is a long thing. When I was young a teenager playing 200 nights a year some of the best bands and signed bands who had record label deals were from the fox valley you know there was uh, soup there was uh uh the, the white duck country rock band from fond du lac and some of the best vocalists uh were always from the fox valley they had a lively scene up here um and we were frightened of them because they always had such good singers. Uh, flash forward, um, it's just nothing but cover bands when I arrive. It's it's Vic Ferrari land, and Vic Ferrari's the king of Vic Ferrari-dom. And no, no slight on that. I mean, the first, you wanna hear the first sentence I ever heard in my life in Appleton, Wisconsin, I was here, we're looking for a home. I was getting a coffee, a woman in front of me, you know, I saw Vic Ferrari last night <laughs> and I'm listening. I don't know what a Vic Ferrari is. And she goes, you know, if you close your eyes, he, they sound just like that Elton John record I got. And I thought, holy shit. And thank God, original music came in the form of Corey Chisel who, by the way, was signed by Clive Davis. I don't know if people know this. Clive Davis only signs great singers. Corey's great singer. He, he signed Barbara Streisand. He signed Whitney Houston. He only signs great singers. So uh, that was a, an explosion of fresh air, and it changed the scene completely, totally. And now we have people writing their own songs. Great. Just write some rockers, people. Have you ventured out often during Mile of Music? It, often. Okay. I love it. I love it. What yeah. What venues do you seem I, to migrate towards? Any specific place? No. No, I want to see new. I like new. I listen to new music all the time. Um, I want new. I want someone who's got some showbiz in them. You know, they're going to entertain you. I began this interview talking about the Goose Island Ramblers who entertain the living shit out of everyone who ever saw them. They still haven't forgotten. They didn't just stand there and play. I often wonder people who are, well, I suppose they're introverts when they stand there and just real quiet and they just sing. And quiet is a thing 
you can rock quiet, you know, as long as you're, you know, we can see that quality in you as an audience. Um, no, I go see everything, and, and, and it's interesting to me because I've, I've had such a long career playing. I, I see people in various stages of their career, and I know exactly what's going on. I see a guy, I remember seeing a solo performer, and he's traveling with his wife or girlfriend, and she was sick of it and fed up and was, I thought she's going to get up and drive away during his performance. It was, you know, I've seen it. And the road wears you down. I feel bad for a lot of the bands because I know that feeling. Except when I did it, when I was on the road, I was famous for walking off tour buses or walking away from gigs. I don't want to put up with that shit. I don't, I don't think a uh, gig is important, you know? If it's oppressive, if it's wrong, if it's just not gonna work in any way shape or form no matter what you do i don't believe in entertaining one person in a room i'm out but uh <laughs> other people do don't they how is the scene up here different from the scene in madison right now madison's dead dead did appleton's that? got the coolest appleton has the most vibrant music scene or it did before covid uh the fox city's fantastic it reminds me of the old days but madison I, I it's just dead there's nowhere for them to play there's uh, uh there's artists pop up but then they leave town they move to nashville things like that do you feel that the the closing of smart studios had anything to do with that no, well of course of course of course but uh smart that was I don't know. Scenes happen, they don't happen, they happen, they don't happen. It's like uh, the many phases of a basketball game. You're, you're <laughs> hot, you're not. You're hot, you're not. You're hot, you're not. You mentioned you like to see Appleton be a little more rocking. Yes, which yes. I, well, it doesn't at all right now. It's just, yeah. I mean, are, are you the only rocking band in Appleton? There's some other rocking bands in Appleton. Please point me at them. Uh, I'm I plead the fifth right now, Frank, so I'd have to think about it. I'm not prepared. But I, 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 don't get me wrong. I love bands. I love musicians. It takes so much to go up on stage, so much. And for a solo performer to go up on stage, my God, that's the greatest act of courage known. I've done it, you know, as a uh, instrumentalist, you know, one-man steel guitar. It, it is mind-numbingly frightening. At my age, it's frightening, you know. Do you still have a studio at the refuge? No, 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 uh, no one does. It's empty, I believe. Okay. So when you were working out of that studio, was it easier to to get things done? And like it's uh, that was more uh, when I did effects work and stop motion work and animation work. Yeah, it was easy. You got to have a lot of room. So doing what you do is it kind of does it make it harder to do it in your own home? versus going yep. into an office and being separated from it's impossible and i've tried to get my stop motion <laughs> career uh up and running in the past three four years and it just is one big shut door i can't i need a lot of things in place in order for that to happen but it opened another door i had to move on and that door is writing i most of my time is writing. You do have that book that we didn't even really talk about. 
Oh, no, that's a trifle. I'm talking about uh, screenwriting. Oh, screenwriting. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's just a little fun guidebook for the valley. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like how you refer to that as just a little fun book. Like most people, <laughs> that would be like the crowning achievement to have. I did, to have that, that, book. I did that in four months, and it was in the most insane four months of my life. <laughs> Because I was directing full-time and animating full-time, so I wrote Wicked Fox Cities between the hours of 12 midnight and 4 a.m. over that period. Hey, I like that. That's a... Sump pump. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh That's my basement, by the way, which don't anybody ever go there. <laughs> uh, so are, how do your kids feel about your history with, with in the music and all, all the stuff you've done? Are they proud? Yeah. Are they interested in it? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I don't know. They've seen it. I brought them along. My son came to Animation Studios when he was little. He's an animator now, uh, filmmaker. And, you know, when he was 12 years old, he'd, we'd be in Chicago at some stu big studio that I was working for, and he'd get to go open all the little stop-motion drawers full of anything building material or fun thing you needed or wanted to make a creature or a dinosaur or something like that or and he got to see that and and i remember my daughter loved following the afterlife of uh, life of riley when i did film festivals all across america she came to some showings and uh yeah i mean she's they're both interested in what I am interested in, in some way. And your wife is very supportive. Of yes. her. She's oh, a God. very, <laughs> very kind and, and, and generous woman. Um, so what's on the horizon for you, Frank? What can we expect out of you in the next year or two besides the Know It All Boyfriend's uh, Joey's Benefit concert next year? Well, you can expect a rocking steel guitar album that you might want to listen to as opposed to 99.9% of steel guitar albums, which I can't because they depress me. Is this in progress right now? Yes, it is. Any? Not at a studio. I'm woodshedding the tunes so I can knock them down in two takes. Any other insight on, on what we can expect from this album? Uh, besides that it's going to rock. <laughs> I don't, you can't get any higher than that. I'm just woodshedding. I'm in my dreaded, cold, damp basement <laughs> <laughs> with my amps cranked and my chain of fuzz pedals, just like they were in 1979, ready to go. Well, I can't wait to hear that. Frank, thank you for joining me today. And I admire you, and it was an honor oh. to sit down and talk with you for the last hour. Thanks for coming on Code Zero Radio this morning. Thank you. Can I have another coffee? You sure can. You've been listening to WCZR Code Zero Radio.